Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. You may be seated this morning. We're going to continue our series on the book of Romans, finishing up Romans chapter 8 today. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin with verse 31 today. Uh, But before we dive in, let's do a quick recap of what we discussed uh, last week. Uh, Last week we looked at some of the benefits, additional benefits of being justified by faith. Paul tells us in verse 18 that the sufferings that you and I face here in this world, the troubles we endure, the hurt, the pain, uh, the trials, uh, they don't compare at all to those who know Christ as Lord and Savior, the the glory that we're one day going to experience, that glorified body, where we are transformed, that we'll never experience pain again, or hurt again, or trials again, or troubles again, or sickness again. We'll never shed another tear of sadness, uh, another tear in pain. Uh, We will, uh, so the the suffering that we have today cannot compare to what God has in store for us. And then he also uh, talked about how the Holy Spirit, when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit (coughs) intercedes on our behalf. Uh, so that uh, he is in tune with the Father, and the Father is in tune with him, and of course the Holy Spirit dwells you and I, and so he knows our deepest needs, our deepest desires. Uh, he knows uh, how to intercede on be, our, our behalf uh, to the Father. <coughs> and then uh, we also looked at what God's plan is as it relates to salvation for those uh, who uh, know him as Lord and Savior, that we have, uh, he determined that those uh, that uh, would know him as Christ, uh, as Lord and Savior, that they would be uh, made or conform uh, into the image of his son, uh, right? And he, he also said that, um, th- that he would call them, uh, and those that he called, he would justify, saying, hey, it's just like you never sinned, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So you and I, uh, because of God's grace and mercy, we uh, don't have to be uh, uh, worried that this is all there is. We don't have to be worried that our trials and tribulations are all for naught. We don't have to be worried about any of those things because God is in control. And because we know him as Lord and Savior, he's already got things worked out. And that the glory, the, the, the hope that we have and who God has for us to be, to glorify us, that future in heaven and eternity with him far outweighs anything that we would face in our lives here on this earth. This earth is nothing uh, but a place that we are passing through. Uh, Our ultimate home is in heaven with Christ. All right, let's look now in your Bibles, uh, beginning with chapter 8, verse 31. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So Paul says, based on everything I've said here now, so far, 
uh, when I'm talking about uh, justification, talking about you know uh, us being uh, glorified, uh, you know being called. Uh, if God calls you, if God justifies you, if God glorifies you, you know what what is then uh, to say about this? Uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? The it says if there, if God is for us, but an actual better translation based on the way the Greek is worded there, is that since God is for us. So not a question of if, but a statement of fact that since God is for us, who can be against us? Meaning if God declares you righteous, if God declares us justified, if God calls us, if God chooses us, if God uh, has had mercy on us, then who is it that can stand against us? Amen. Why? Because he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if you're worried that God is not going to do what he promised he would do, if you're worried that maybe uh, heaven is a pipe dream, if you're worried that all the promises that God has made to us, uh, that maybe he doesn't plan on delivering on those things, that glorified body, that being in God's presence, that, that when uh, you know we will have uh, uh, be at peace with God and no pain and no suffering and no hurt and this perfect uh, utopia that we're looking forward to in the presence of God. Uh, just in case, did you have any questions about that? He says, God did not even spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all. So if you wonder how much God loves you and how much God will keep his word to you, then just look at the fact that he gave his son. Right? So if you ever question God's love, if you ever question that God will do what he says he do, remember this. God loved you so much that he sent his son uh, to die for us. Right? His son didn't just come to earth. His son shed, uh, gave up heaven and the throne in heaven to come here on earth to take on human flesh. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man to dwell on this earth, to get sick, to have colds, to... Uh, experienced the pain of death. He lost his, his, uh, his father, his earthly father. He experienced all the pain and suffering that you and I do. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like we are tempted, but he did not sin, so he was, he was tempted to sin. He was tempted to rebel. He felt pain and suffering. He was tempted to doubt God's goodness. Everything that you and I have ever faced, Christ endured. Amen. And then ultimately he endured more than what many of us will face in that he suffered greatly. He was beaten and he was sped upon and he was rejected by creation, by the people that he created, the people that he came to die for. He was rejected by them. He was beaten. He was uh, ultimately put to death uh, in the most brutal way possible in that time to be hung upon a cross. And so if God did that for us, then how much more so will he freely give? This word means to bestow out of grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Right? Amen. We don't deserve it. Deserve it. We can't earn it. It is freely given to us, and that is God's forgiveness, his mercy, and grace to us. He freely gives all things 
What does that mean? That means everything necessary to complete the purpose he has for you and I in our lives. So if God gave up his son, how much more so, if he gave his son for you, how much more so will he make sure that he gives, you have everything you need so that you can become everything that God wants you to be to accomplish the purpose that he has for your life? Amen. That should give you and I hope that the enemy cannot override God's purpose in your life. The enemy cannot steal your purpose. He cannot steal God's plan from you. He cannot rob you of any of that. That God, who gave his son, will also ensure that we are made in the image of his son, predestined to be made in the image of his son, and that he will give us everything freely as an act of his grace that we need to be made more in the image of his son and accomplish the purpose that he has for our lives. And so if you ever sit and wonder and think, well, God, you put this purpose or you've opened this door or you've done X or you've done Y, but I just don't have this and I just don't have that and I'm missing this, whether it's a tangible or an intangible, right? You, you know, resources from a tangible perspective, you know, uh, resources, money, whatever the case may be, or from an intangible perspective, maybe you think you don't have the strength or the perseverance, maybe you think you don't have the energy, you don't have the talents or the gifts or the abilities, but God says, I have all of those things that you need to walk in the purpose that I've called you to walk in. So don't let the enemy convince you that you're not good enough, that you're not qualified, that you're not capable, you've been too bad, you've been too evil, you've made too many bad decisions. That keeps you from walking according to God's purpose and trying to accomplish his plan because God knew all of that. He knew everything you were going to struggle with, every bad decision, all of those things, all of your weaknesses, all of my weaknesses, all of my failures, all of my bad decisions, yet he called us anyway. And if he called you, then he will ensure that the purpose that he has for your life will be accomplished. So you do not have to be afraid because if God is for you, who could be against you? Let people talk. Let the enemy of your soul talk. Let him talk and talk and talk. Let him do and do and do. But God's plan will be the one that always, that ultimately prevails. For your God is sovereign and he is in control of all things. And God is surprised by nothing. Nothing surprises God. And when things come into your life, he's not like, oh my goodness, uh, what's plan B? There is no plan B with God. There's only plan A. There will only ever be plan A as it relates to you and your walk with God. There is no uh, plan B uh, as it relates to your relationship with him. And nothing that you go through surprises or worries God. He's got it all under control, right? But we don't have to worry about tomorrow because he has us in the palm of his hand. And if he gave his son, then what else would he not give to us to ensure that we are who he called us to be? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who can bring a charge against those that God has chosen? That's what elect means who God has chosen or selected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So who could bring a charge? Who could condemn? 
Who can, uh, you know, uh, stand before God and condemn you when God has chosen you? Right? God picked you. God chose you. He called you. So therefore, let Satan and let the demons talk all they want to. The Bible says the enemy stands as an accuser of the brethren. He goes before God and he says, God, uh, look at Janet. Look at Amanda. Look at Joey. Look at all the things they've done wrong. Look at Curtis. Look at all these things. He stands and he accuses the brethren and he says that God should love us and we weren't working and we weren't dying for and all the mistakes that we make, right? Yet God says, I called them, I chose them, your words mean nothing to me. They belong to me. Right? And when you belong to God, it doesn't matter what anybody else has to say on the subject. It does not matter at all. People from your past can come in your life. People in your present can be in your life. Uh, any of those things. They can come and, and do whatever they want. But they can never change the heart of God towards you. Amen. Because when God makes up his mind, his mind is made up. And he called you and he chose you. He called me and he chose me. So it is God who justifies. It is God who said, you are not guilty, and I am not guilty, and we no longer have to suffer the consequence of sin. And so if God makes that decision, no one else can say that you deserve it. No one else can go on, you know, before God and say, well, they deserve to be punished, right? And so that means you and I can't be praying that God will be punishing those around us, right? Uh, we, we can't be like, uh, brother and sister so-and-so, boy, they sure deserve X, Y, and Z, God. Could you give it to them real good, right? We, we shouldn't be doing that either, uh, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it's God's chosen. And when God justifies, no one else should, their opinion doesn't matter. Amen. It's God's word that stands, not man's opinion. All right. So no one can bring a charge against us. He, who is he who condemns? Who can condemn us? Who can go before God and say, we deserve to be punished? We deserve to be uh, died because of our sins. We deserve all of these things. Who can condemn us and say uh, that we do not deserve God's grace and mercy? It is in nobody's purview upon the face of this earth in heaven or on earth, to go before God and condemn us. It is only God who condemns. He's the one who justifies us. He's the one who called us. He's the one who chose us. Uh, and so therefore no one can, can condemn us. Why? Because it is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. Nobody can set, change God's mind because Christ died for you. And Christ died for me. Christ already paid the price and made the sacrifice. That old song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. All those thousands of years ago, when he gave his life uh, for you and I, he was thinking about you and me in the future, right? He already knew your name according to Psalms 139. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he already had your days fashioned before you were ever born. He knew your name, your mistakes, your weaknesses. He knew the sins you were going to commit. And he knew all the those things about you, but he loved you anyway, and he died for you anyway. And so if Christ died for us anyway, and Christ gave his life for us anyway, despite all of the things that God foreknew about us, then who can condemn us? God already knows. Do you know what, uh, uh, you know what uh, kills you and I mostly with guilt? 
and shame? It's because we keep it a secret. Right? We keep it a secret. We don't want anyone to know. We don't want anyone to think that we're above perfection, that we make mistakes, or things that we've struggled with or continue to struggle with, and it eats us up on the inside. It makes us miserable. Maybe I'm just speaking from experience, but I know that it has made me miserable. But here's the thing about God. He already knows. He knew before you were ever born. All of those things. Yet he sent his son to die for us anyways. To give his life for you and I. I, uh, when I, my mom uh, babysat when we, my, my brother and uh, I were children. And uh, we, uh, uh, had kids in the house all the time, five days a week, right, uh, that, that were, uh, my mom kept. It wasn't like today where you have people maybe have one or two kids. Mom had like, felt like at times 20. I know it wasn't quite that many, but it was a lot. She would have, what, five or six at least on top of us boys? Yeah. Uh, and uh, the house was always full of kids. And uh, Charlie and I uh, had two sections of toys. We had the toys that stayed in our rooms that no one was to touch, and then the toys that were down there that everybody could play with, right? Uh, when you give, when mom would give us a gift, or dad would give us a gift, that was very special to us, and it would uh, uh, upset uh, us if someone took that gift from us, especially if they took it and broke it, right? Uh, I know with my own kids, uh, when I would give them gifts, uh, and uh, uh, they would uh, get them out, and then a cousin or a friend or someone would come over and break it. Uh, I'll give you an example. I, uh, I bought Ruth, uh, I set up this whole clubhouse uh, when we found out we were having Ruth at home and redid it, and I put a, all these cool things in it, even though, of course, she wasn't even born yet, but, you know, I was anticipating the day. And uh, she was maybe a year old, just old enough to put up in there so she could toddle around while we were watching her. And uh, I had put this ginormous cannon on it that shot water. It was a water cannon. And I uh, couldn't wait to the day that she could use it. And one, uh, some, uh, a family member came over to the house, climbed right up in that clubhouse, and broke it. Snapped it. Man, was I angry. Right? I was mad because they broke something that she didn't even get to use yet, right? It was a gift that I had given her, right? And so uh, when you and I give gifts, we don't like other people to take it, and we're protective of it. If God gives you a gift, ain't nobody going to be able to take it from you, mm -hmm. right? If God gave his gift of his son and he gave you salvation, nobody can take it from you. No one can steal it. The enemy cannot steal it. Nobody can take that gift from you. God freely gave it. Christ died. He was risen. And he is at the right hand of the Father. Because he died, and because he rose again, and because he was exalted, he is now at the right hand of the Father, where he mediates on our behalf and intercedes on our behalf with Amen. God. And if God 
uh, if Jesus Christ, who gave his life, is standing on God the Father's side and uh, interceding on your behalf, you're pretty good shape. Amen. Because he died for you and me. Even though he knew what we would be. Everything about us. Everything that we got secret that not even our spouses may not know. Or those closest to us may not know. God knows, but he loves us anyway. Amen. How awesome is that? So who could, who could condemn us? Who could bring a charge against us? God already knows it all. <laughs> let, him, let him talk. God already knows it all. I remember I was uh, getting my security clearance the very first uh, time I was getting my security clearance. Uh, and uh, as all of you know, or most likely, uh, Kelly, how do I, Kelly and I, Curtis was uh, conceived out of wedlock, we'll put it that way, okay? And uh, we got married, and then Curtis was born uh, in October, we were married in June, and uh, I remember uh, they asked me, now this was years later, Curtis was now at least seven yeah, at least seven years old when they were doing my security clearance. And the lady said to me, uh, we just want to make sure that you can't be blackmailed for this. We want to make sure that, no, you know, this is in the open and, and everything. But I will tell you, I was ashamed for a very long time. But by the time this came, seven years later, uh, everybody and their mother knew. It wasn't no big shock to nobody. It was a surprise. It was some big deep, dark family secret. Anyone can do the math. We were married in June. Curtis was born in October. Something obviously happened, right? Uh, but I remember thinking, I laughed to the lady and I said, no, everybody knows you're good. No one can blackmail me for that, right? Uh, because everyone knew. But you only can be condemned and blackmailed for what you think is a secret and nobody else knows. Amen. Right? The enemy can only hold over your head what you think you've got hidden he can condemn and convict and make you feel terrible. But here's the thing, God already knows. And if God already knows that he died for you and loves you anyway, you're good to go. Amen. Everybody already knows. So who cares? The one who matters already knows. It don't matter what anybody else's opinion is. I don't know if it's coming through to you the right way this morning, the way that it's in my heart, but that is exciting for me that nobody can accuse me before God because God already knows all my shortcomings, my failures, and all that. He still chose me anyway. Amen. That's right. So let them talk. All they can do is talk, 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 talk. It is a lion without teeth. Amen. Come on. Yes. Let them talk. But it's what God knows that matters, not what man thinks, not man's opinion. Uh, it does that does not matter before God. When man when when man goes before God with his opinion, God's truth always trumps man's opinion. Amen. All right. Sorry, I got on a little tangent here. All right. Uh, let's see here. Verse thirty-five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So all these other things are true, right? But no one can condemn us. No one can put bring a charge against us, right? Uh, not all of these things. God knows all, everything about you, yet he loves you anyway. So now Paul's going to continue with the, this thought. That who can separate us from the love of Christ? So knowing all this other stuff is true, that God is that God is uh, 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 foreknew you, that he predestined you to be made in the image of his son, that he, he chose you, that he called you, uh, that he uh, justified you, that he glorified you. If all these things are true, his son gave 
himself for us, right? All of these things that Paul said are true, that what or who or anything could separate us from God's love. Nothing. Remember, the enemy's biggest thing against you is right here, trying to convince you that God does not love you, God does not care for you, messed up, uh, you, you, you messed up so bad that God cannot love you anymore. And that is simply not true. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And not just that, but when you and I face trials and tribulations, we should know that God still loves us. So he says, who can separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So he's saying here that if you're facing trial and tribulation, if you're facing sickness, if you're facing death, if you're facing persecution, the sword, guess what? None of those things separate you from God's love. So what does that mean? It means if trials are destroying you, God still loves you. If tribulations are pressing you down, God still loves you. If you're dealing with sickness in your body and you don't know what else to do, God still loves you. Don't let the enemy come into your heart and your mind and convince you that God does not love you because you're suffering. God loves us. Paul already told us early in the book of Romans, what? That we will suffer. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. But guess what? We can be hopeful in knowing that that produces character, which produces perseverance, which produces hope, so that you and I have a hope in God that we know, as he said later on, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All of that flows together so that if you and I know Christ as Lord and Savior, start to put the pieces together that if nothing in this world can separate us from God, that what God did for us can never be taken away, can never be destroyed, can never be uh, removed from us. So that no matter what you're facing, God still loves you. Amen. God still cares about you. No matter what you're facing, if you're hungry, if you don't have a roof over your head, God still loves us. I know for me it's very uh, tough and me, for me, I'm spoiled American. <coughs> I am a spoiled Westerner. I've never wanted for anything my whole life. Always had a roof over my head. Always had uh, more than enough, more than enough food, clothing, toys, whatever. I've always, by God's grace and mercy, been blessed. And while that is such a blessing, it has also corrupted my mind in that when something doesn't go my way or I don't get what I want, guess what? I say, well, maybe they don't love me. If God doesn't allow me to get what I want when I want it, the first thing I do is question his motivation. Right? So when we look at that and we see where he says tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, whenever you and I are suffering, why is it so many times the first question we ask is, why, God? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Don't you want the best for me? And that is the conditioning of a world where we've always got what we wanted. Amen. You may not have, you may not have, uh, you and I may not have a mansion somewhere, right? But we have a roof over our head and hot water and food to eat and clothing. There are other places and parts of the world where they don't have <coughs> those luxuries. Amen. Where they don't have 
those things, yet they still never question God's love for them. It's hard for you and I to understand. Honestly, Americans are spoiled. Amen. Right? And so it, when, when trouble and pain and hurt come into our lives, the very first thing we say is, where's God? Well, God's where he's always been. Standing there with his arm out, out, arms spread wide, outreach, loving us, caring for us. It's just that sometimes we go through bad stuff. Amen. And we don't always get everything we want, but we'll have everything that we need. Amen. So even if we're being, even if we find ourselves dying, we know what? Paul says that we are will be glorified. That is our hope. That even if we die, we'll be present. Once we die and take that last breath, we'll be in the presence of God. Amen. And someday we'll, uh, you know, uh, be in that new city, that new heaven, that new earth, that new earth that God creates, and we'll be, be with all of our family that's gone on before us. I mean, it just—it's amazing to think about. So that even when it comes time to take our last breath, you know, you ever think what causes a, a, a Christian? Uh, to go and be martyred, what they must be thinking. The only thing they can be thinking is there's something more than this. Right? That, that, that God is real and that God's loved them and taken care of them and that when they take their last breath, they're going to be in his presence and it'll all be worth it. You know what I'm saying? So we, we've got we've to begin to see God in his love and his grace and mercy even when we're suffering. But I will be the first to tell you I don't suffer well. <laughs> I don't like pain mentally, physically, or emotionally. I hate pain. I have a low tolerance of pain. Just ask my wife. I'm a man. I get the man flu like, like every other man. It's worse than everybody else, right? I remember last year when I got the vid, uh, last January, uh, and I got COVID. Uh, I was out for the count for like four days. My poor wife caught it, and she she had, I think, one day where she laid on the chair. She, she like, literally, uh, it was uh, the 90-day difference between her and I. She had all the same symptoms, but I was knocked out for four days, and she was knocked out for one. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, you know, it, 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 I don't like it. I, I don't suffer well. I don't like pain. I don't like sickness. I don't like not getting what I want. I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. And so many times I question, God, do you really love me when I go through things? Right? Maybe I'm the only person that's ever asked God that question when I've suffered. But we, you know, I'd like to believe that all of us as humans, we have that where we go, man, God, where are you? Where are you? Well, he's right there because nothing can separate us from God's love. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Meaning that it is guaranteed that we will be persecuted. Paul himself, who wrote this book, would later die. He would be beheaded. He would suffer capital punishment for his relationship with God. And because he would continue to proclaim and profess uh, Christ as Lord and Savior, right? Uh, he would die for the gospel. The disciples, every one of them, except for John, died in horrific ways. Right? Uh, and John, uh, the Apostle John, was boiled in oil but wouldn't die. And so they put him on the Isle of Patmos. He's the only one that died of natural causes. All the other disciples, well, Judas killed himself. But all Matthias, who replaced Judas, all the others, they died in horrific ways. They died from being thrown from towers. 
the, uh, uh, they died from being crucified upside down. They were died by being drawn and quartered. They were, I mean, awful, awful ways for the gospel, for the Christ. Yet Christ still loved them. In fact, when Peter was uh, crucified, tradition holds that he said, don't hang me the way that you hung my Savior. He said, I don't deserve to die in the same way. So they crucified him upside down. So even going to his death, when Thomas was crucified, while he was sitting there crucified, he preached Christ crucified. I mean, that's just amazing to me. But they were knew they were going to suffer. They knew they were going to die. Uh, yet they knew also that Christ loved them. They never once questioned God's love for them, Jesus' love for them. So let us take from this and know that no matter what we suffer, God still loves us, he still cares about us, and he still promised that he will make sure that he accomplishes the purpose he has for our lives. Verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. Now, the phrase there, we are more than conquerors, it means to overconquer, to conquer completely without any real threat to personal life or health. So we are more than conquerors, not because we've done anything, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What has been conquered? Death, hell, and the grave. Not because we conquered it, because Jesus Christ conquered it. We're more than conquerors. So they can hurt you on this earth. People can uh, hurt you on this earth physically, mentally, abuse you. But guess what? You are an overcomer because Christ overcame. You're more than a, a conqueror because Christ conquered for you. And that's why someday we're going to live eternity in heaven with him. Because Christ conquered, which makes you and I conquerors. You ever, uh, I know when I was a kid, we always had the super athletic in P.E. And I hated P.E. I was fat, I was out of shape. I'm the most unathletic person uh, in the world, even when I was skinny. I'm clumsy. Yesterday, I literally fell up the stairs uh, in the house, right? And uh, I nearly killed myself. So, like, I am a clumsy, back even back then, I was a clumsy mess, uh, and so I hated P.E., uh, and so what I would do is, uh, I would be picked last, inevitably, but we'd always have the, uh, the kids who were like the jocks that were just good at everything, right, from elementary school, middle school, and high school, right, like, they literally could do everything, uh, play basketball, football, uh, you know, uh, uh, baseball, they could do it all. And so uh, what we would do as kids is you would get on the team and you'd have that one really good person and they would win the game for you. You know what I'm saying? So we would just, I just kind of move around a little bit so the PE teacher would know I was kind of doing something. Uh, but we would ride the back of that one really, really athletic guy, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, and he would win. See, Jesus is that person. Uh, we're riding his coattails. He went, he won the game for us, and because he won, we won. As a team, we won. Because yeah. he won. I ain't doing anything to contribute. I ain't help out. 
I didn't pass the ball. I didn't shoot the ball. I didn't hit the ball with the baseball bat, right? And kickball, I was the guy that whiffed somehow and missed the ball every time, right? Like, seriously, uh, I, there is no way we were going to win because I could do anything good. Uh, and relied on that one kid that could kick the ball all the way down and, you know, back past everybody, right? But because he won, my team won. And boy, when the team won, we were high-fiving each other for the one guy that managed to kick the home run or managed to score the touchdown. Or, you know what I'm saying? Oh, high-five! We didn't do anything. I struck out five times in a row, but man, we won! <laughs> Woohoo! Right? We were riding his coattails. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so uh, uh, that's how Jesus is for us. He went, he did battle, he conquered, he won. And because he overcame, because he conquered, because he won, we're all with us. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. He done whooped the enemy, so we don't have to whoop him. Someone said that the enemy... Uh, that the, the, the even if you are just the big toe on the body of Christ, Satan is still under your feet. That's right, man. Yeah. That's because Christ conquered him and put him in his place. Amen. Not because I did anything. I won because he won it for me. Mm -hmm. So we are more than conquerors because Christ conquered Satan and Christ conquered the earth and so we are no longer have to worry about dying and going to hell, but we can go straight to heaven if we know him as Lord and Savior. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, look, I know, I am convinced beyond a shadow of doubt, I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from God's love. And he gives us a list that covers basically everything. He said, first, that death nor life, right? So when you die, you will not be separated from God's love. In life, no matter what you face, you will not be separated from God's love. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Right? So no, uh, no angels, no demons can separate us from God's love. They can, uh, you know, the demons can accuse you all day long before God. They can attack and run you down. But none of that matters in the mind or the heart of God. Uh, so no fallen angels, no demons, there are no power. Uh, so the plural form of this word for power is used to refer to either miracles or people in positions of authority. So no powers, so no president, no king, no congressman, no senator, none of them can separate us from the love of God. They cannot legislate God's love. They cannot legislate no matter what laws they pass. God still loves and cares for us. Nobody can separate us from God's love. Amen. You can see this evident in communist countries like China. Right where they strive to stamp out any freedom of uh, religion practice, uh, freedom with any freedom in Christianity practice, where they have to hide. Right, uh, it doesn't matter that the leader ignores God and denies God or an atheist. What matters? They they can't separate you from God's love. Amen. Right. So it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's the congressman and the senator. It doesn't matter what laws they pass against God. 
God still loves you. And God still loves me. Nothing can separate us from God's love. In addition to that, there are no uh, demonic powers that can separate us from God's love. Amen. Nothing done in the spiritual realm that could separate us from God's love. He goes on to say, neither height or depth. These were uh, 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 terms used in astronomy to refer to high and low points of a star's path. So as the world, Earth rotates, it was to talk about, you know, uh, basically uh, the, the star's path in the sky. It's how sailors, you know, navigated and things of that nature it was based on the star and where it was at any given time. And so what it's saying is that when you look at the life of a star and the path of the star, right, uh, it's talking about life from beginning to end. It can never separate us from God's love. Nothing in our life and in the path of our life can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing that occurs can separate us. And finally, he says in verse 39, nor any created thing. So just in case anything was missed in those previous verses, he sums it up and says, no created thing can separate us from God's love. Love. Praise the Lord. Nothing. In he- nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing below the earth, nothing in the universe, nothing created, nothing. What? Everything is subject to God. All of it. Amen. God created it. He put it in place. It is all subject to him. So none of it can do anything to separate us from God's love. Why? Because it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His death upon the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his exalted place at the right hand of the Father, and his intercession on our behalf. That is why God, nothing can separate us from God's love. Because of the price that Christ paid. When God looks at you and me, he sees his son. When God looks at you and me, he doesn't see my guilt or my shame. He sees the death and the blood of his son spread upon my heart. Amen. And your heart. So therefore, nothing, nothing can come between us and God like that. Not, not one created thing can wipe the blood away. It's there permanent. No, no person, no enemy, nothing on this earth can separate us from God's love and mercy and grace. Amen. Let us see. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.